have you ever noticed how you get really hungry after watching an anime with good food? Yeah, it makes you want to go and make some yourself. Or order in? Mm, no, it's right. Kenny, is that a rice ball? Mm. Mm, yeah, made it myself. But what? What's it? What's that inside it? <laughs> Jelly filled. Oh. <sighs> this isn't for kids, man. I'll just launch the Eva. Eva launch! Tatsu! Kanida! Onita! It's over nine thousand. Nani? Kawaii Fi! Kawaii Fi! Kawaii Fi Radio! and welcome to another episode of Kawaii Fi Radio, the podcast where we look into the world of anime and manga and all things in between. I'm your host, Kyle, and joining me are my co hosts, Coco and Kenny. Hi, guys! Hello! Howdy! <laughs> Now, we've got plenty to talk about because it's a food episode and we <laughs> love our food. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not that fat, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> but before we do dive into that, um, let's let's talk about something that kind of surprised us. We were expecting violence, we were expecting a bit of gore, but I was not expecting where Magical Girl Special Ops Oscar went yeah. in episode three. It is way too tortury for me. I just was not, not doing this anymore. I mean, can't do this anymore. Was not expecting to do this. From the start anyway, so... Yeah. I mean, granted, it's, uh, you know, a modern take on the whole uh, Magical Girls thing and, you know, villains will use horrible means to get what they want, Mm. but I felt that the whole sequence Mm. was just too dragged out. It was unnecessary. Yeah, uh, it's pretty gung-ho with the military mm. and... I've read that the show actually has a military consultant. Yeah, yes, it does. So we we got to episode three, and um, for for those who are thinking of watching it, please be aware it's MA15. Mm. It's got some pretty confronting themes the further in you get. Mm. Um, And we we thought, hey, it might be cool, you know, girl running around with guns um, as a magical girl defending other people. Um, Not to say that the fight scenes and the action and stuff like that and the themes presented aren't quite bad. Honestly, I I really wanted to enjoy watching it and Mm. I wanted to keep watching it because even though the storyline is a bit fluffed, it's a magical girl anime, Mm. how how solid can a storyline be about magical girls? But at the same time, I just really liked seeing the real life issues, especially the emotional issues such as PTSD, mental health, um, portrayed... In, in a realistic way and I really liked how there were no panty shots. Yeah. There was none of that fan service which is mm. just so demeaning. Which is very commonplace especially in the magical girl genre. I mean, oh yeah. Th- we have seen this rise in the past five to ten years of the sort of dark magical girl story as opposed to you mm. know like card capture or Sailor Moon style stuff that we would have saw in the late 90s. Yeah. Yes we were watching uh, Magical Girl site not too long ago. <sighs> and yeah. And Mirai and Nikki was pretty uh, dark. Yeah. I, know, I don't think that's really technically magical yeah. girl but it was a little bit magical. I don't know it just turned up in my mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as dark stuff does but uh yeah well we also all three of us have all went and dove into the treasure chest of new stuff in the past fortnight uh, oh yeah kenny you've been watching a new anime coco's been reading manga i've also found a new manga i think we'll start with what coco's been reading and that is actually related to what's airing this season dororo yes i have started dororo um i am trundling my way through it as best I can because I'm currently only reading it on my phone. Mm. Um, I should really just make more use of my laptop, to be honest. Um, You can definitely tell who drew it 
obviously. Mm. It's got uh, Tezuka's hallmark all through it. I'm really enjoying it so far. Mm. Um, How's it comparing to the anime? Well, at the beginning, it is is pretty much exactly the same. You see the warlord. You see him go into the temple of demons and it's all drawn in the same way as it's animated on the show. Oh, oh so this is a modern variation of the uh, Dororo manga? Or is no, this, this the is the original. Oh, oh, wow. Smashing. Yeah, you can find it on Manga Rock if you would like to have a look at it. We, we need to find out if it's actually got a hardcover English release. Surely it would have something so... I'd say so that would be a wonderful addition to the shelf. Mm-hmm. Yes. And Ken, you've been doing research in the food anime, haven't you? I have, and uh, spurred on by a couple of listeners of the show, hey Jojo, uh, I found one called Isekai Izakaya Nobu. Mm. And um, I don't think the Isekai genre is going to die anytime soon. <laughs> it's, it is a very appealing fantasy. There's it's, so much material to oh, use for fantastic. it. Fantastic. There's something for everyone in this genre itself. Mm-hmm. The genre itself is very, very multi-layered. This one is about a... Very, very um, stock standard kind of Japanese restaurant suddenly appearing in the middle of a very, very fantasy German-European setting. Um, (laughs) I can't say if it's very, like, high magic or anything like Mm. that. There's a concept of dragons and stuff like that, but... Are there panzer tanks? Uh, There are no panzer tanks. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, right, Germany. (laughs) (laughs) But wasn't there that girls und panzer? Yes, and there's also, you know, Thuster JSDF went there and went and destroyed everything. Which actually brings me on to what I've been reading, which is an isekai, and it's saving 80,000 gold for my retirement in another world. That is a very specific title. It's a very specific long title. It's a girl who um, gets knocked off the cl- a cliff in the first episode. All of her family before her have um, already passed on. Um, she looks quite young, but she's over 18. Um, mm-hmm. She's just short. Um, and she appears in this other world and starts introducing food um, to them. And Because it's a fantasy world and this city is landlocked. There's not a lot of fish because it takes forever to get to the city. So she starts serving fish, which because she can pop back and forth to Japan uh-huh. <laughs> as many times as she likes. Yes, she also introduces them to shampoo, opens her own shop, starts doing a catering business, it's and a quite similar to the one I was reading. Yeah, yeah, actually, that seems to be a consistent theme now. Yeah. I'd, I'd introduce them to banks, and then I'd introduce <laughs> them to compound interest, and then I'd put maybe two dollars in there. And then come back later and see how it's looking. Aha. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. So, um, that, that's a very interesting idea. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say I have it. I have thought of this before. You I believe we have tell. seen Coco's villainous side here. Yeah, she clearly wants to destroy economy of a foreign kingdom. But legally. <laughs> only legally. Lawful evil is still evil, Coco. <laughs> Lawful, <But> though. <laughs> it's protected. Ahead in this episode, good cabbage is on the menu yeah, yeah. as we look into the culture of food across Japan, whether it's a simple treat like pocky or the ultimate donburi. Japanese food is drawn and described in incredible detail across Japan's media. In this episode's Manga Kai, we'll be looking at a trio of manga that focus on food from traditional treats all the way to out-of-this-world dishes. Mm-hmm. So plenty of silly talking points to go through there and when it does come to animating food few can beat the detail and incredible focus that's seen in one of the foodiest shows out there Shokugeki no Soma aka Food Wars <laughs> but of course we'll be amiss if we didn't include some recent live action adaptation series including a certain sweet tooth salary man and a wandering samurai but before all that let's head to the newsroom making headlines really 
in the third film and a new anime partnership with Netflix. This is Kawhi Fi Anime News. Studio Ghibli are taking an unorthodox approach to Hayao Miyazaki's next feature film, with producer Toshio Suzuki stating the legendary animator has no deadline to complete his work. The comments appeared in the April issue of Bungai Shunju Literature Magazine, with Suzuki discussing the upcoming project Kimitachi wa do ikiru ka, translated as How Do You Live? When asked if Miyazaki would ever truly retire, Suzuki explained that his Studio Ghibli co-founder would likely never do so, as he feels most at home while continuing his work on film productions. Netflix has announced a new partnership with three anime studios to produce new content for the streaming platform. The new agreement will see Studio Anima creating an altered carbon spin-off called Resleeved, with David Productions adapting the Spriggan manga into a series. Alongside them, Studio Sublimation is producing a Dragon's Dogma anime series based on the popular RPG video game. Netflix's existing agreements for production IG, Wit Studios and Bones will stay in place, with several new anime projects on their way, including an adaptation of Icon Comics' Super Crooks by Bones. The website of popular cyberpunk anime series Psychopass has announced a third season of the series is in the works, with no release date announced as yet. The franchise has seen three new films released this year in cinemas and will see both director Naoyoshi Shiotani and character designer Akira Amano returning for the project. One Punch Man's second season will start with a broadcast commemorative special, a week before it officially airs. The second season is due to air on the 9th of April in Japan, with the special broadcasting on April 2nd, though no international broadcast date for the OVA is available at this stage. While the news may disappoint some international fans, the announcement still has something for them to look forward to. Saitama's voice actor, Makoto Furukawa, will be performing the season's ending theme song. A new feature-length film in the Loop in the Third franchise is on the way, this time putting the spotlight on one of Japan's most iconic femme fatales. Loop in the Third Fujiko Mine's Lie opens on May 31st in Japan, focusing on the title character being chased into a corner, according to the synopsis. The film is the third to focus on Lupin's companions, with previous installments Daisuke Jigen's Gravestone and the blood spray of Ishikawa Goemon sharing the stories of Lupin's two other companions in 2014 and 2017. Steampunk Trains and Zombies anime, Cabinary of the Iron Fortress, is receiving a sequel anime film, according to the series' official website. Wit Studios produced a 12-episode adaptation of the manga series in 2016 and are in charge of producing the upcoming film. The new feature is set six months after the end of the season and will apparently serve as the middle point of the story, suggesting more of the series may be on the way. The film will hit Japanese cinemas on May 10 for a limited run. Upcoming original anime series, Roby Hachi has unveiled the first look at the new space adventure series alongside an April 8th premiere date. The story is set in the distant future, 50 years after first contact, and follows an unlucky freelance reporter and a robot being chased by a debt collector through the galaxy. And finally, Funimation and the US arm of Toei Animation have announced plans to release a 30th anniversary Blu-ray collection of the Dragon Ball Z series with a catch. Funimation have said they would need to see 2,500 pre-orders for the collection to be produced, otherwise they'd not consider printing it. The company previously attempted to release a Blu-ray collection of the series in the original 4x3 aspect ratio back in 2011, but due to technical challenges, the restoration was never completed. The announcement of the set shows the 4- and 3-star Dragon Balls, leading to speculation the set could be in its original format. And that's your anime news for the week ending March 17th, 2019. Take my 
money. <laughs> and this Where is, do I throw it? This is why I didn't tell you before the episode. Link oh me right now. I need to throw money at this. That is that is smashing news. I am I'm excited. And I'm sorry, they need only make 2500 sales of that. Yeah. So that but oh, that, that's in that's the US. So we'll have to okay. see what happens. Um, oh, okay. Uh, right. um, we'll still order it. It's Blu-ray. Oh yeah. You know, I'll, I'll I'll play that on anything. Dibs. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I mean like that, that's amazing so news. Good. We'll we'll see what happens. Um hopefully we should know in the coming months as to whether it's going to go ahead. They haven't put up anywhere on their website where you can pre-order it, but I imagine considering the popularity of Dragon Ball Z and especially with the recent films also seeing that massive interest mm. from uh, cinema goers. There's no way they'd struggle. With, with each remaster, mm-hmm. I just feel the need to purchase more cells. <laughs> <laughs> need more cells and I need to buy Animation frames. cells or yeah, cell yeah, himself? Sorry. Yes, well. Him if as you well. buy the animation cell, it's pretty much like having cell himself. Can we get an animation it? cell of cell? Uh, there Is are. That they, they are out there. <laughs> Can I get an <laughs> animation cell of cell within a cell showing his cells? No. On a cell. <laughs> <laughs> um, other than Dragon Ball, loop in the third film. Number yeah, three. Yeah, that is going to be so good. An always welcome thing. Mm-hmm. It's such a classy production, isn't it? It really is. I, I, I think I've told you guys how I discovered loop in the third's Castle of Cagrioso when I was quite young. Mm. Um, and I found it in a... Uh, I, I feel really old saying this, but a video store. Oh, on we VHS. recently have lost all the blockbusters in Australia. Yeah, we? we we had one left who was about was vying off for one in the US yeah. to be the last one on the planet. No, VHSs are worth bank these days. What? They no. Are, yeah, if you can find one in like an original printing, like with the original jacket <laughs> and it hasn't been played to buggery oh, that makes sense yeah, yeah seriously <laughs> if, if you look online you'll see that they are going for a lot mm. of money well e- either way this is the uh, third Lupin film of the recent incarnations looking at the side characters but there's a lot of people online who want to actually see it focus on Zenigata the police officer for yeah. the fourth film I would love the, that he's Which, so long suffering he is and it would be amazing if it was like sort of a prequel to see where he came from but oh. who, who knows I mean it's it's been what three years between the last few yeah, films, so that. we probably won't know anything for another year or so or two. That's going to um, be so good. I'm, I'm <laughs> perfectly wait. happy to be patient for something like that. Mm. Let's get kicking on because we do need to talk about food and anime and we have a very special guest to talk on that. Kawaii Radio. And now for our feature presentation. <laughs> now featuring... This episode, we're talking anime food, looking at Japanese food culture and its place in anime and manga. So, what a better place to start than to talk with someone who's researched both anime culture and Japanese food culture. Rebecca Suter is an associate professor from the Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences at the University of Sydney. Hi, Rebecca. Hi. Hello. So, just to give our listeners a bit of an idea on your background, you teach in the areas of Japanese language and popular culture studies as well, but you also have some direct experience with manga, I believe. Um, that's right, yes. So, well, starting when I was a PhD student and then for a um, few years after that, I've been also, I've worked as a translator of manga, actually into Italian, which is my first language. Doing a little less of it now because I'm quite busy with other things, <laughs> but I keep up with it. I did one volume last year um, after gap of a few years of, of not doing any manga. I read a lot of manga, both for enjoyment and um, also for work. So I, I 
teach and research about it as well. That's living the dream, isn't it? Being That's able to fantastic. read manga for work. <laughs> so, yeah, I know, right? I get paid to read comics, <laughs> basically. So, so I, I guess we'll, we'll we'll start kind of from the top of it, and I think Ken had a question on this as well. I mean, yeah, I've mm-hmm. been uh, researching a little bit about Japanese food in preparation for this and just generally eating it for a lot of my life. I was just uh, yeah, curious, uh, <laughs> how important is food to Japan's cultural identity? Um, well, very, I would say. It is in general, I think in a lot of culture, I mean, I don't want to say that Japan is unique in that sense. Um, there's a, actually sort of the top scholar of Japanese um, food studies, Kasia Cherka, she's in um, Leiden in the Netherlands, who wrote this book about um Asian food cultures, and she has this introduction where she says, well, food is this really powerful identifier for people, like cultural identifiers, so much so. She gives a good example. Very often the the negative stereotypes about people are around their food, right? Like how can they possibly eat these disgusting things? Mm. But yeah, it's true that in Japan... I mean, it's one of the countries where, yeah, food is very important. In on TV, there are a lot of cooking shows. Yeah, there's just a very, very well developed um, cuisine and food culture. So, yeah, I would definitely say it's quite important. I've noticed that many Japanese professions have a strong focus on precision and deliberate movements, similar to the philosophy behind calligraphy and samurai teachings. Um, what's the mm. philosophy around Japanese cooking? Well, in that sense, I guess it varies a lot. Maybe what you're thinking of is like sushi, which is, I guess, very high level cuisine done in restaurants by chefs. And yeah, well, I mean, I guess one one can see the samurai connection with the, you know, knives and swords and and the way of of handling them and and cutting. Um, It it is a bit broader than that, though, I guess. Yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that all of Japanese cooking is grounded in those kinds of, of high arts. There is also a whole range of other types, like more home-based cooking, which is not necessarily so high-end and so um, martial arts-based as, <laughs> as that. Yeah, so I guess it varies a lot, yeah. So what sort of culture does Japan have when it comes to eating food for enjoyment? I mean, we, we see a lot of um, the media which comes out of Japan focusing on you know, how much they love their food. And here in Perth, we've had quite a rise of ramen mm. places recently as well. Ramen, okay. Which yeah. is awesome. Yeah, ramen is an interesting example, actually, because it is, um, it's um, it's become one of the iconic Japanese, I mean, sort of one of the symbols of Japanese cuisine abroad. Mm. Uh, ramen is, is actually Chinese originally, right? It's something that was imported into Japan um from elsewhere so Mm. it's kind of interesting in that respect but then it has become this iconic japanese food what is the culture of enjoyment of 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 food i mean again in this sense it's one of the many countries where food is is sort of valued as a form of of not entertainment quite but Mm. i guess leasure yeah it would be a social lubricant as well wouldn't it it? yeah 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 Mm. absolutely so there's i mean eating out it's also quite affordable i guess in in japan eating out so again there's there's different levels of course there's super expensive restaurants as well but um yeah it is probably since the 1980s more or less there's been um, a bit of a boom of eating out that continues in Japan. It's also less common in Japan in big cities for people to entertain at home or, or just invite people, spend time, spend mm. leisure time in homes because apartments are 
very, very, very small. I have a friend living there at the moment and from all her photos I've just seen it is quite small there. <laughs> you, you mentioned obviously that there is that um, idea of going out as well to meet people and dessert culture seems to be quite a, a prominent thing mm-hmm. there as well. I mean, going back to even traditional desserts with red bean or mochi as well. Is, is mm. dessert culture something that's quite prominent over there? Um, yeah, and again, when you say traditional desserts, that's an un- other interesting one. They are relatively recent, and in fact, this is something I'm, I'm researching a little bit, which is the, um, the history of sugar um, mm. in general, like on, a, on the global space and in the Japanese case. They are relatively new, so sort of early, I mean, okay, early modern in the sense of 1700s, 1800s, but, but then they've become now described as um, so wagashi, Japanese sweets, as in mm. traditional Japanese foods. There is that on one hand, and then the whole world, I guess, of Western style, but again, mm. Japanized um, sweets, mm. so um, cakes and, and, and so forth. When you mentioned dagashi, I thought immediately mm-hmm. of Degashi Kashi. <laughs> and, um, of course, we see food playing a prominent part in anime and manga with characters taking their time mm-hmm. to enjoy their meals. Um, is this part of the idea of Ichigo Ichii, which is um, treasuring the, the unrepeatable nature of a moment? Yeah, again, yes and no, I guess. So that that is the Ichigo Ichi is a concept that is, um, well, I guess it's more philosophical, more broadly, but it's it's deployed a lot in tea ceremony. That's um, uh, sort of where, where it's it's used most, which of course is part of food culture, but at the same time, it's it's a very ritualized. I don't know if you've ever participated in tea ceremony and had the tea. It's it's really wouldn't describe it as as pleasant (laughs) it's very very bitter you just have a little bit of a taste you admire the cup so so yeah it's a little bit um different in in that sense so yeah there is a little bit of this high culture i guess that trickles down into contemporary food culture but um no i would say it's more yeah part of um enjoyment of daily life and I, i wouldn't call it so there's a prominence of sharing food with other cultures in this sort of thing, especially when it comes to sort of like animes which are isekai-based or spirited away kind of stories. Is there mm-hmm. a great deal of pride in Japanese cuisine for sharing their food with other cultures? Oh Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, not, not only um, at the daily level of, of what, you know, in pop culture, what people... Um, like to do, but even at the go- level of government policy, um, there is, uh, you know, food is promoted as one of the sort of the, the again signifiers of national identity. Washoku, Japanese food, literally, was nominated or defined one of the um, uh, UNESCO intangible treasures or something like oh, that wow. <laughs> in 2014, I believe, or 2013. Um, and and this was part. I mean, of course, th- there has to be some some you know government support to apply for these things. So obviously, yeah, th- there is a, sort of a general um, attempt at making food hmm. a symbol of Japanese culture and an important component of Japanese culture. I remember right at the beginning of this conversation how you said that um, you're an Italian national. I just wondered because when I was about 10 I lived in France and we had Mm -hmm. Dragon Ball Z there. Right. Um, We had a few other animes as well. Was it broadcast widely in Italy? 
Same, yeah, yeah. I think Italy and France were the two first um, foreign countries that um, massively imported Japanese anime. Definitely, yeah. That's awesome. In fact, Italy even maybe came first, so really was in the uh, in the sort of yeah mid to late 1970s that all of uh, robot anime first and mm. then and then all sorts yeah definitely dragon ball was is a it, very big one as well mm. is it still um quite popular is it gained popularity over there yeah yeah absolutely and and, and in fact uh, there's been also this sort of so i was mentioning before i was i was translating um manga so really it's it's kind of I guess my generation, so people who were children in the late 70s, early 80s and and were watching anime on TV, which was really not perceived so strongly as as Japanese, I guess. It was just what is on TV, (laughs) but then became the the readers of manga later right so mm. so then there's been also this boom of translations of the the print versions of manga mm. and also of more recently produced manga in the 90s and 2000s and it's kind of also connected to that so as, as well as as food actually when i was a child in italy there were very very few japanese restaurants whereas now it's yeah full of them Mm. Just to finish on, what sort of mangas have you worked on? Is there any names you might recognise? The latest that I translated um, last year is this one called Tekon King Creed. Mm-hmm. It's been made into a movie as well, I think. Mm-hmm. Matsumoto Tayo. But um, they're, they're, they're a little niche, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> may not know them. Yeah. Uh, trying to think if there's anything that is very famous that I've um, not really. So I was working for this um, publisher that, yeah, was focusing a bit on more underground or, or like mm. yeah like smaller quantity less known uh mangas that's right yeah oh fantastic well look thank you Pardon? so much for your time today rebecca mm. Thanks thank so you much for talking to My us pleasure. that was associate professor rebecca Suter from the university of sydney she's a lecturer and researcher in japanese language and popular culture studies who's also studied the role of food in culture and with food playing such a big role in japan's identity it's only fitting that we start with one of its most significant art forms literature Wi-Fi radio! That anime was a manga? That manga was an anime? Manga Kai! Yes, food in manga is almost as common as incredible protagonist hair. Mm. It tends to appear in almost all series at some point and has an important role to play. I wish my hair could do that. My hair kind of always does. (laughs) I think the only way to make my hair do what their hair does is to use clag glue. <laughs> or, or you can ask Kenny for some of his hair techniques. I mean, he looks like he's going super sane all yeah, the time. It's, so. it's a beautiful wave of a mane. First, you lick a light socket, then you hold your head out the window <laughs> of a moving car. We Works do not every condone time. what he just said. Please ignore anything Kenny <laughs> Please says. Please don't from try here that at out. home. <laughs> so, you guys don't want to be like me. There are plenty of manga out there that look at food, but we're going to focus on three manga which are fairly recent in the last decade, which have kind of brought a lot of unique ideas around um, food to the forefront for Western audiences because they, they weren't areas we knew about. Um, we'll start with Degashi Kashi, and that mm-hmm. ran from 2014 to 2018. And what's quite interesting is that Degashi itself has a similar principle in our culture, in Western culture, mm. which is the old sweet shop. 
Yeah, I remember when I went to primary school, there was one of those delis on the corner. We don't see them anymore. It's mm. such a shame. But there were so many sweets for sale and they're all so cheap. Like you could mm. spend like 20 cents and get a decent amount. Like mm. yeah, it was great. It was. The um, the title for Degashi Kashi can either be read as Cheap Sweets Candy or However. <laughs> however. However. Which I, I think is pretty cool considering yeah. that they kind of used that in the anime adaptation as well. Whenever there was a gap between episodes, they go, however. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just plug the name right yeah, here. Exactly. We'll put it everywhere. Um, so Degashi Kashi focuses on a shop called Shikeda Degashi. It's a small Japanese, in a small Japanese town, um, very rural. Mm. And uh, Degashi shop is an old sweet store with traditional mm. sweets. And they're kind of dying out in Japan when they're competing with places like, you know, convenience stores like 7-Elevens and so on. Absolutely. And um, the Shikeda family has run this particular store for nine generations, but Kokonatsu does not want to take over the shop from his father. I love how his name is Coconuts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know it's not, it's Coconatsu, yes, but, but it's Coconuts. Calls, all of his friends call him Coconuts, <laughs> which is just I don't know great. why that just amuses me so much. <laughs> so, but his father, Yo, wants him to take it over. He's obviously not having a bar of it. He wants to become a manga artist. And he th- then what happens is there's a visit from a girl called Hotaru. And she's eccentric, absolutely bonkers. And she's the daughter of a major sweets manufacturer and leads to coconuts being pressured into taking over the business. Mm, He's getting pressure from a different side in a different way. Mm -hmm. By a completely crazy stranger right out of nowhere. (laughs) So that's one of the things that amused me so much is just how Hotaru's eyes look 100% pure, unadulterated nuts. Yep, yep. The the, the lines within lines within lines. Yeah, and... Oh, and and his dad, his dad, <laughs> most irresponsible th- parent I have ever seen. Yeah, like, we're used to irresponsible parents in anime, but I think he takes it to a new level. I don't know. On a scale of one to Gendo, how irresponsible Ooh. can oh. we get? I don't know. We could argue that Gendo was responsible for his country and to himself. So yes, but that is the reason. But not to parenting. Yeah, Gendo exists. So no. more yeah. irresponsible than Gendo. Well, Gendo is in the running for worst dad of the year. So <laughs> horrible father. So th- this um, manga, I've been reading it pretty consistently as it's been coming out um, translated. It hasn't got an official English translation that's up to date. So there's oh. lots of fan subs out there, and even they're quite far behind. So the anim- the manga finished in 2018, and now we're seeing. Um, the more chapters still coming out this year every every week or two weeks when they can get around to this is the struggle i have with after the rain i don't blame you i just want to know (laughs) i want to know now same with me and domestic girlfriend is waiting for a week and then going when's it coming online it's because of (laughs) our culture our society these days we're just so used to having everything there immediately within a second's reach binge watching and so on yep but um so Degashi Kashi has had two anime adaptations, one in 2016 and one in 2018. Now, the 2018 was in shorter form. It was uh, Mm. 12 and a bit minute episodes, which initially had me quite concerned. But upon watching it, I realized that that was actually the best way to adapt what Mm. they had left in in the series. I felt like there was less craziness Mm. in season two. There was more continuity. Well, well, season one focused 
literally every episode on this is this candy and this is that candy and this is that mm-hmm. candy, which is the same way they do it in the manga. Every chapter of the manga focuses on a new Degashi of some form. Uh, quite. It's um, The whole idea was that w- there was a meta plot, the whole... Um, thing about trying to pressure coconuts into taking over the business, mm-hmm. into embracing his Dagashi destiny. And but there was also the focus on the sweets. And I do recall that because of this series, you, me, Coco, and uh, two of our other mates bought like a massive box of the stuff, imported. Yeah, yeah. we yeah. threw our money Japan. at that. Yeah. Just a Japan crate. Uh, no, Japan no, box. it was from J-Box, I think. No. I'm not sure. It was It was from one of the groups. It this was is going back. back quite a while. But N- yeah, now I we have Japanese stores here, so it's not too yeah. much of a trouble. Because <laughs> we were watching the show, Google was like, oh, targeted ads. Yeah. You can buy this stuff. And we're like, all right. Normally that's Let's annoying, but, uh, you know, thanks, Google. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but each chapter focuses on one of those Degashi sweets. But what they that happened for almost two hundred chapters. And as you can imagine, from a anime adaptation point of front, you want the plot to begin and end in one way or shape or form. Mm-hmm. Um, and that wasn't going to happen if they did a second season in exactly the same style as the first season. So of course, the first season was done by Studio Feel, and it was beautifully animated. The second season was done by Tezuka Productions. Mm. And I didn't realize that until I was um, looking that up for today because initially I was like, it's a different studio, it's a different writer, it's a different director. Sure, it's got the same audio team on board, but mm-hmm. that's I remember it. you being initially turned off by the switch in animation. Yeah, the, the animation style, particularly for the eyes, changed a fair bit as well, which yeah, was. Yeah, she a wasn't bit... as nuts. She yeah, Hotaro didn't look as nuts. More <laughs> determined. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So th- either way, lots of silly stories. Can highly recommend you watching it. It does have an English dub if you're after that as well. So. Mm. Mm-hmm. Worth having and a watch for. out for Saya's tooth. Yeah. It's adorable. It's adorable. <laughs> um, moving on from there was one that actually aired last year, which was Miss Kozumi Loves Ramen Noodles. And mm-hmm. that's uh, originally a manga, has been running since 2013, is written by Naru Narumi. And each chapter follows Kozumi, the main character, who is a girl who appears very cold and antisocial. Until- but she's got a bit of a problem. Yeah, she's obsessed with ramen. So she completely changes when she's got a bowl of ramen in front of her, and every she—I don't think she's ordered the same thing twice. No, so no. many different, and and every time she orders a bowl of ramen, you get a bit of a background on the history of that yeah, ramen as to its, where its location it's from. in the country. And it's a strange kind of a thing. Do you ever see her eat or imbibe anything else in no. the show? No. Does she ever just have a can of drink or an apple or just? I think she just drinks the broth and eats the noodles and everything else that's in it. I think mm. she just she just is ramen. Yeah, and but she, the thing is, is that you know she doesn't drop that cool, cold, non-emotive response unless she's eating ramen or talking about it. And mm. this was so popular um, that it actually was adapted into a live-action short <laughs> series before it even was made into a manga. I Get haven't out. seen really? it yet. So that, Have you guys seen that yet? No, so it, it actually only ran for four episodes in 2015 ah. plus a Christmas special. <laughs> And Christmas ramen? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. Is that like plum pudding in the Maybe middle of a Maybe it's got reindeer of... instead of char siu pork. Ooh, we've had reindeer. Okay. That was incredible. That's so good. Okay, now I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to bring out some more onigiri, are you, with jelly in them? I make no such Or do such you prefer donuts now? Jelly-filled donuts? 
what are those? <laughs> so, what what do you guys like with ramen? What's your favourite ramen? Oh, I, I, I mm. still cannot go past that um, place I visited in London. Um, yeah, what was it called? Oh, I think um, it was Shoyu Ramen. Yes, you said Shoyu Ramen, and they do this most beautiful, rich. It's the know, Hakata one, Haka- wasn't it? Hakata, the really thick very one. thick, heavy. Mm. Oh, but it's at the end so light in the taste, and it was just oh, it was a treat. And they also served um, frozen Asahi beer with it. Oh, so which I was just like Sounds at the time, I'm like I'm in London. Why have they got frozen beer? Where in Australia we don't do it frozen. It's probably beer. because <laughs> they. In the UK, they don't know what cold beer is, <laughs> so they just so and and obviously the they, Japanese they, they, they know. They do just not, and they're they sort of making up for the, they're making up for the rest of the country <laughs> by having really cold beer. They, they do know what cold beer is, provided it's not one of their local ales, because they've got to be left at room uh, a certain temperature, which I believe is normally in the downstairs sort of. Which I believe is madness. Yeah, yeah. Well, but I mean, Australia is so hot, so everything for us must be ice cold. That is true. So maybe we're the mad ones. Kenny, what's your favourite? Cup noodles. <laughs> what? Uh, okay. What kind of cup noodles? I need to know. What kind of cup noodles? It's got to be the meat. Oh no! This is Final Fantasy Fifteen all Should over, we isn't it? Him again? What, what, what's what's your favourite topping for cup noodles? I have a sensor button. You have a sensor button. <laughs> But I've got my cup noodles. There's nothing like them. They're easy to make whenever you've got a craving. <laughs> They're delicious to boot. Yeah, just I'll never forget my first time. Oh, dear. Just don't make them and put them in a thermos and then take them out at work like half an hour later because the noodles will have drunk up all the broth. <laughs> I feel like you're I speaking made, from experience. Yeah, I made that mistake once and it was just awful. Oh, oh my. my God, that was bad. Was it basically a big soggy mess of noodle? Well, the noodles kept together really well, but there was no broth. Oh. And I really like the broth. The disappointment is real. Which mean, which which takes us to why I really like sukumen. Mmm. That, that's that's the ramen where you dip the noodles into yep. the sauce, isn't you get it? Oh. Everything in the bowl except for the broth. The broth comes separate. And you just take what you want, you dip it in, and you eat it as you like. It's super popular as well in Japan, especially in summer, I believe, because then they yeah. can give you like a cold broth. <sighs> Yeah, that'd be good. That's the thing. There is so many variations of ramen, and this series goes into them. It doesn't just show like her going from restaurant to restaurant eating them. Mm-hmm. She explains about them, about the heritage, and sometimes the history. she goes traveling, doesn't she? Indeed. Yeah. Different places. She's like, I went to uh, Hawaii and I had pineapple ramen. I'm like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> don't don't get me wrong. This sounds amazingly interesting, but huh? Mm. Well, we, we do need to keep moving on because we're going to run out of time otherwise. So we will quickly cover Dungeon Meshi, which literally is Dungeon Meals, um, if it's Romanized. But the English translation is Delicious in Dungeon. And this mm. began in 2014 as a monthly sign and manga. And it, interesting to note that all three of these mangas we've talked about um, fit in the signing category. Um, and admittedly, um, Degashi Kashi sits kind of on the border of Shonen and um, Sinan, but... Audience target is both. It's nice to think of dungeons as being anything other than dank and yeah. cold. <laughs> Delicious well, is also nice. Yeah, it, it's still dank and cold. So this is set in a fantasy world where explorers head into dungeons to try and find lost treasures. The main cast almost die when they're fighting a dragon. Um, and 
they lose a member called Fallon who teleports them to safety at the cost of her own life. Now, Laos, who is Fallon's brother, who is also part of the party, is determined to go back and attempt to resurrect her before her body decomposes. Because this is a fantasy world, so resurrection is apparently not a problem. It's a very, very RPG-centric world. Mm -hmm. Very, very Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, which has been listed as an inspiration for the styling for it as well. Mm. Um, But they have no equipment or money, and two of their team members leave due to the disaster because they're like, no, we're not going in there. What's the point for us? Um, so they go in and they meet a dwarf who actually lives in the dungeon, which um, immediately makes them go... Dwarves do. Well, no, not, not typically. <laughs> <laughs> um, he shows them how to cook the monsters they kill to keep their costs down. Which is oh. a fascinating notion, something you don't consider in like an RPG like that. It's, they can bring all of their like cheese and bread and meat with them, but... Supplies run low. Economizing. Exactly. The thing is, everyone in the universe of the manga looks down on that idea, but they the part of the reason for eating it is every chapter there's a recipe, which is just a terrifying notion. And what's you, the first one? I, I can't remember. I off think the top that was cockatrice, actually. Ah, yes, it was. It was. And yes, it, they are. Uh, they slay a giant cockatrice, and then they cook its meat and serve it with some mushrooms that are growing on the wall and basically make this yeah. delicious chicken almost I think it was a ramen in fact. Yeah. And I believe that Heston Blumenthal tried to put one together. Yes he for did. For a meal. <laughs> he did. It it, it uh, certainly It was apparently delicious. It, it was apparently delicious, but it still looks scary. Um, but th- this manga we've mentioned several times before in the news because it's been nominated for this year's Manga Taisho Awards, along with the nomination in twenty eighteen and twenty sixteen. So it's Super popular. Um, it's released monthly, unfortunately. It's not a weekly. Um, but the story is definitely worth the read. So oh. if you're interested, have a check. Absolutely. And I mean, the fantasy kind of RPG genre is in pretty much vogue at the moment. Dungeons and Dragons is kind of popular again, strangely enough. It's even mm. getting a movie, so I hear. Mm. Another movie. And oh, Yes. Uh, well, the less said about those first ones, the better. <laughs> Wi-Fi radio. I think I watched that as a kid. Oh yeah, I remember that. Back catalog. Yes, and back catalog today is the epitomous Food Wars. Food Wars. Now, if you've not heard of Food Wars, you might be missing out. Oh, um, yes. We do have a bit of a disclaimer beforehand. Food Wars is not for all ages. It's probably best. 15 plus. Yeah. yeah. It is I mean, terrifyingly suggestive to the point where it's not even suggestive. It's in your face. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I think there are some contextual bits that would maybe go over the head of someone who's younger. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. Not saying it's not worth watching. Oh, it's, it's definitely definitely worth watching, but it's it's just a, a matter of. Um, mm. I, I think if you haven't um, done a certain educational unit in school, you might not understand what they're getting at. Yeah. Um, but Food Wars is an incredible anime. We've actually watched in preparation for this episode all of season one in the past week. Um, Oh, I love it. One down, two to go. <laughs> I love how it's focused on the food, but there's a solid storyline going through it as well. Mm-hmm. And I mean, one, one of the most um, interesting things about this show, and we we'll, we'll, should obviously start from the beginning. So there is that very strong focus on food, how it's drawn, how it's animated, 
and the effect it has on people. Mm-hmm. And it all starts off in a small Japanese diner with um, the main character, Soma, cooking in a battle with his father. It's called Yukihiras, yeah? Yeah. And um, there, it's all about this um, battle between them and also the comedy of them coming up with terrible recipes mm-hmm. as well. It's like Goodness. they cook amazing food, but they also like to push the boundaries and discover awful Awful combinations. Such mm. as peanut butter and squid. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there are a lot of dishes that they do cook. But then there are so many dishes that we've seen that just look amazing. They look difficult or almost impossible to make. Yeah. But the um, series will also go into what goes into a certain dish, how it's cooked. Yeah. It can give you an idea of how to prepare it if you are brave enough and crazy enough to try. Yeah, it it gives us some really good ideas for uh, for dinner a few times. Yeah, yes. I, um, I, will, I will test out anything you guys want to try for that show, except <laughs> in, unless it involves squid. Oh, come on. Challenge accepted. <laughs> what what about sardines and jam? So Food Wars has got is based on a manga. It's got three hundred and seventeen chapters. Whoa. Whoa, really? Yeah. Um I'm gonna hit that. (laughs) (laughs) I I will hit that once we've finished watching the anime. I I don't want to ruin the surprise there. It's not like starting something like One Piece, which is uh what, a thousand chapters or something something crazy like that. Still like a Naruto. Hmm. Mm, Similar, yeah. But um the the series itself has become quite acclaimed for its focus on food, um, the culture around food. And it doesn't just focus on Japanese culture. It looks at different cultures from around the world. So whether that is, you know, gastronomical cooking like Heston Blumenfall, like we were talking about before, or traditional mm. like countryside Japanese cooking. Oh, well, no, because the whole idea is that it takes place at this um, insane academy for foodies with this incredible turnover rate. It's... The amount of people that get expelled there is crazy, but this only leads to the most strangest, most almost shonen level of personalities showing up to compete, to show the world their style of Mm. insanity and cooking expertise. Oh, there's never a dull moment. There there really isn't. And to to emphasise that, I'd like to play a little sound clip that I found which really emphasises what Food Wars is about. Oh. Too much for you? Oh my gosh. I feel like my ears are being laid. <laughs> that is a scene when some judges are judging a ramen noodle contest. You do need visual aids for this sound. It just sounds so bad without visual. It just I feel sounds... violated. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't blame you. I don't blame Sorry. you. Sorry. Um, so th- there are three seasons of this available to watch. I believe several streaming services do have it on their books. Um, so have a look on your local providers, see who's got it, because it's very, very popular. It's a great laugh. Um, there, there are so many well-timed jokes and puns and mm. little tidbits that you won't see coming. <laughs> just tidbits. just be warned, it is fan servicing. Yeah. And it's, it is... It to its credit, it is not only fan servicey with the girls; it's fan very fan servicey with, with some of the boys. But it is more fan servicey with the ladies it, of course, than of the men. Course, yeah. So I feel just like be we warned. were almost prepared for this by watching um, Grand Blue. Ah, uh, yeah, oh, that, that was great. That was glorious. We, we will discuss Grand Blue in full in another episode. Um, but unfortunately, we are going to run out of time if we don't kick on. So let's talk about some live action adaptations. Hawaii Fire Radio. Hula, 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 hula. 
we don't talk about Dragon Ball Evolution. Or Last Airbender. Death Note. Live action. Yes, uh, as they said, we don't talk about those things because they're bad. Mm-hmm. Awful, terrible things. Um, I think this is the first ever live action episode we've done. Um, well, segment, I should say. Um, so we do have two very cool, very interesting live action adaptations which have appeared on Netflix recently. Mm-hmm. And I think I'll let you two start with them because I think each of you have researched one of them each. Is that right? And in each of us have binge watched multiple times <laughs> i mean yes this is a fact all right well i've researched too uh, we'll, we'll start with kenny because you're the one who actually introduced us to this form of show to begin with and you've been watching uh, samurai gourmet samurai gourmet now um yeah i discovered this thanks to netflix and it says that there is an accompanying manga that's oh, okay. basically what inspired it um you don't look convinced it's impossible to find it. Oh. I, uh, I searched high and low. I searched Google, Yahoo, and even Bing. No. Dun, dun, dun. What? <laughs> I, no uh, one searches Bing. I, Bing searches what about Google. about Ask Jeeves? I was is that still going? Is Ask Jeeves still going? It is. It's ask.com. Oh, okay yeah. then. Um, I checked Reddit, Mangarock, the delicious streaming service of Crunchyroll. I found something of it on Backer Updates Manga, the cover art, nothing else. Hmm. It was thanks to a suggestion by Coco that I managed to um, use Google Translate to take the title, kanjify it, search it back <laughs> through Google, hmm. translate a bunch of pages to discover basically what I was being told by the gods of manga all along. There is no English version of it. Wow. I guess we have to just learn Japanese, which... Slowly but surely, we've been trying to do. Yes, uh, but, you know, very, very hard to find mm-hmm. a translator. We might need to call Rebecca back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, um, so what's the kind of premise behind this um, series? Because it is to do with food, but it's not like a cooking show. Oh, no, no. This show is about comfort, basically. You watch this mm. if you just want to feel pleasant. The whole idea of it is... We, we have a bit of a problem with that, don't we? We seem to really feel attracted to what these are you talking comfy about? style shows. Yes, it's uh, in the past few years there have been a bunch of like very, very big, bombastic, action-oriented anime, but we have been strangely drawn to the comfortable and the nice. Mm. All right, so it's, it's comfy, it's about... Uh... Uh, it's about a 60-year-old man, um, Takashi Kasumi. He's a pleasant-looking bloke. He looks very, very chipper and happy. He has just recently retired and mm. is now wondering what to do with himself. He's been working for all his life. So he goes for a walk. He checks like the way he used to go to come to work. And he discovers a restaurant which he had always seen but never gone into. It's mm. just a normal, everyday restaurant. Looks very much like the one I was looking at in that prior anime. Mm. And um, so he decides to simply sit down, enjoy the food, watch it being cooked. Um, but then something a bit out of the ordinary happens. Oh, yes. Yeah. A uh, Edo period samurai just walks <laughs> in the front door. <laughs> How? Um, a gorgeous Edo period samurai, yeah, that, as you pointed out. Oh, yes. So what do we know about the actor that plays this guy? Um, I looked up both of the actors. I looked up where they came from. The guy who plays the Edo period samurai is... Um, he has been in a bunch of crime dramas, gangster films. Okay. He is like the very suave, debonair, sophisticated looking man. And yeah, I discovered that about him. And I also discovered 
a bunch of pictures of him appearing in fashion magazines. Cool, and let me have a look. Damn, he is fine. He is a I manly think we man. Should, we, we, sh- we should appreciate where appreciation is worth being had. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I. I. My, I can't use my word. So yeah, it's, he's that good. This, so this is sort of like the meta plot of the story. Is um, he romantizes samurai? They are bold and assertive wanderers mm. that get whatever they want. And he feels like in this second life of his, his retired post work life, he wants to be more of that way. He wants to go where he please, eat what he wants, drink during the day, something mm. rather unheard of or looked down upon in Japanese culture. And uh, so whenever there is a sense of conflict about a point, a turning point where he must decide to be assertive, that is traditionally where you see the samurai come in to say what he would. Mm, I quite approve of that. that really I approve of his hair too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have found some very, very interesting uh, hairstyles on Japanese men recently. Yeah, it's just <laughs> But awesome. the main focus of it is more the food, mm. uh, of course. And... Oh my god, the way it is shot. I'm a film student, so I appreciate everything the, about The this. cinematography of the bits I've seen is just phenomenal. The lighting is excellent. Oh. The focus on the camera, on the way they use it is wow. It's, it's an intense focus mm. on like meat being cooked in a pan, simmering in oil. There's a slightly slowed down effect. It's The focus is just on the cooking and oh my god, you watch this. And every neuron in your brain just screams the three words, I am hungry. <laughs> and then you order Uber Eats. <laughs> now, the main actor, lead actor Naoto Takenaka, mm. has been working since the mid-80s practically non-stop. His oh. IMDB basically says that the man has not taken a year off. Wow. He's very talented, very multi-spectrum. He's done horror fi- a horror film in 2017 called Temple. Mm. I looked at the trailer for that. Rather spooky. Period pieces of samurai dramas, fittingly yeah, enough. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, shows in restaurants and cooking. So he well, clearly has experience that, in this yeah. area. <laughs> He's even been in a few anime movies. Oh, okay. Uh, he was a quack doctor and a restaurant owner uh-huh. in One Piece Gold, the movie. Oh, oh cool. Uh, he was a voice in uh, Fuse Memoirs of a Huntress, which is one that I wasn't familiar with and mm. have now recently added it to my list. It's about hybrid dog-human people that eat souls in a medieval Japanese period. That's pretty cool. Sounds mm. awesome. Uh, more than just television and movie appearances, he's directed a small collection of film. He's a screenwriter. Wow. And he was once a director of cinematics for a little-known video game called Demento. Oh, and enough. I reckon you'll get a kick out of this, Coco. Uh, he was a voice actor for a number of imported DC and Marvel com- uh, cartoons. Oh, wow. He's the voice of Nick Fury and Bruce Wayne. What? Oh, <laughs> that's awesome. And according to Wikipedia, he's even a singer. Wow, there's nothing he can't do. But on the note of very talented actors, I think the... Uh, Certain sweet toothed um, character is played by someone incredibly talented oh, as well. Oh, yes. Uh, yes. Coco's selection. Oh, my goodness. Kentaro, the sweet tooth salary man. Has anyone seen the like of it before? Just... I, I haven't. Well, except for a Nickelodeon special where they started throwing goo at people, but that's about it. So, so <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not actually too different because he does get stuff drizzled on him and. Anyway, let I me think explain. You need to explain. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Kantaro, Sweet Tooth Salary Man, is an adaptation of a manga of the same name. 
This is a live action adaptation. Mm-hmm. Um, Which you can find on Netflix. Yes, you can. It's focused on the main character, uh, Amitani Kantaro. He presents an image of himself that is at odds with the person he really is. Mm. He is a salary man. So he dresses up in a suit, mm. turns up very serious on his work, very focused. Very businesslike. Very businesslike and very smart and sharp about it. The inner personality... Is a bit wild. Is, is a bit, yeah, it's wired. This guy lives for sweets. Which is why he quit his prior job yes. to become a, a salesman. A salesman for a book company, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. This is the Odd. only reason he wanted to eat sweets during the day. <laughs> so, so anyway, so imagine the most straight-laced sort of businessman. And what I love about it is that they got a kabuki actor mm. to play the lead called Matsuya Onoi. I didn't know this until I posted about it and mm. a friend of mine who lives in Japan and who goes to Kabuki Theatre said, that's my favourite actor. Wow. <laughs> this is what he looks like in the last show I saw him in and it's amazing, mm. fully dressed up with all of the face paint. It's beautiful. And, and I mean, Kabuki is like a very, very traditional kind of Japanese theatre. It's mm-hmm. ultra expressive. Yeah, absolutely. Very, very if, if you couldn't express your face like he could... Yeah, wow. and <laughs> and you quite see that coming through in his performance in this. He yeah. is just like as Coco said, he presents this image of like straight laced, cold sincerity. Mm-hmm. But the, then when he changes, yeah, the inner personality comes out in small hints when he's at work. Mm-hmm. And and what's really awesome to see is that there's an inner monologue running all the time. And he gives sort of hints with his face as to what he's thinking. Which is, as you can imagine from an actor's point of view, must be a very hard thing to do. Oh, yes. To keep up with a script and that perfectly the in one, your head. The wantonness with which Kantaro enjoys his sweets is the polar opposite to his work image. He hyperventilates. He moans. <laughs> his eyes roll back. He gives himself over completely to his pleasure. And he's so well educated about each mm little dessert he has and each of the places he visits are real places Mm. you can go to them and also let's go back to the bit where he gets drizzled in stuff so uh, (laughs) Uh, so for disclosure i've only seen a couple of episodes episode one and two and in both of them he's had things thrown at him yes it was um it was like the syrup yeah the white syrup and then the dark syrup um, These are sort of visual representations of the taste. Of, yes. yes. Yeah. What he what he's experiencing. Yeah. This this is this is still a little bit of a tapped yeah. man, as you'll see in uh, one of the later episodes when his mother, who is a dentist, oh no, comes to stay, and she has basically she's the reason he is the way he is. He <laughs> loves sweets, but he was never allowed to have them. So when she comes to stay. He's just like, you know what, I'm still going to eat sweets. Does that remind you of anyone in particular? Certain someone who wasn't allowed chocolate as a child ended up having carob and yeah, uh, have an intense distrust for the, the carob bean ever since. I know. <laughs> it's such a shame. It but is. look at you now. You are so hurt You can damaged. buy any lollies you like. Which is exactly what I'm going to do after we finish this show. <laughs> I am going to go to the local Japanese sweet shop and fill up my bag with Degashi. I'm getting Hooray. cup noodles. Mm-hmm. Well, I do love the sound of pretty much everything in that mm. episode. Everyone needs to watch mm. Kantaro just once, just to see 
it, just it, just it to is appreciate. a truly unique experience. I mean, prepare yourselves, viewers. This yeah. is, and especially if you are going to go to Japan, this is a great way to find some local places which do traditional sweets. Mm. I mean, you you might have to go outside of standard hours to get in there because apparently they're very popular, but it's a good option. Wi-Fi radio. Well, that is almost all the time we have today, but we do have to talk about one very important proverb. Oh. What's that? Good cabbage equals good anime. Oh, my cabbages! <laughs> <laughs> Some say that the anime that started it all was Yoaki Ma Yoru Ruritona. Oh, good job. <laughs> so, I, I struggled with that. It's also known as Crescent Love. Now, this is a 2006 anime series which became infamous because of how poorly drawn the cabbage was in episode three. I think I saw this over your shoulder. It looks more like was a melon. Like yes, a the cabbage lump? is literally a round green ball, which was then cut in half and just had some circular lines inside. So lazy. Now, it needs terrible. veins. This caused a massive reaction online. It's generated memes galore. Everyone taking the mickey out of it. It's gone completely meta where other animes have taken and the I mickey out of it. Other studios have 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 said to themselves we're not going to make the same mistake yep um so the poor reception of the scene even led to the company redrawing the entire series from scratch for the dvd release i'm Whoa. glad they listened yeah it's quite impressive that they listened i have heard online but i haven't been able to verify this that apparently the shareholders publicly apologized for how badly it was received mm. it's a cabbage um, yeah ever since then it seems to be a well-known rule that you don't draw cabbages bad so much so that cabbages are drawn better than the rest of the show they're in that is terrifying really? yeah you, you have a look at some of the more recent shows where cabbages are involved and the cabbage is higher quality animation than some of the normal animation in the show even to the point that some of them actually bring in photos and cg them in the cabbages are a big deal cabbages are a big deal I mean, it's however a we food, we have heard um there's also the opposite so now that everyone's doing really good ones there was literally the year following this series muck up the opposite end of the scale, where an anime called Hayate, uh, Hayat the Combat Butler mocked the bad cabbage by creating their own cabbage, where all the other ingredients were pristine and epic, and the cabbage was a rotund, round, oh, green ball. Boy. They I cut it in exactly the same manner. And what what were you saying, Kenny, about cabbages there's in a, live action? There's a live action show coming up, which is an adaptation of an anime we've seen? Ah, uh, yes. If you guys remember, it's called School Live Club. Oh, yeah, that, oh, that's I the, remember that. that one's a bit um, mentally. It's, it's a very, very dark zombie anime, and it, either way, that anime had really good cabbages growing on the roof. Oh yes, they have a little farm on the roof. This is where they get their nutrition. What's wrong with the cabbages then? Okay, so in the uh, in the live action series, they look like green rotund balls. As in like store-bought? There's no growing leaves? As in store-bought. All in of the s- outer leaves have been taken oh off. They no. look just... So they like just went to the store the and shoved it in the and ground. And just dumped yes. them. <laughs> oh, Judged by terrible. cabbage. That's the life that we now and live. And of course that has been receiving the same controversy as the original rotund <laughs> melon ball thing. Did oh. they not do their research? Apparently not. Well, ever since there's been memes that you can now judge if an anime's quality is good based on how good the animation of the cabbage is. And I think that's a terrible way to judge anime, but it's also hilarious. If it works. If it works, it works. Well, next episode, we will be looking at the surprisingly frequent use of episode six for Hot Springs and Beach episodes.
episodes. Oh. Now, it seems that episode six and occasionally seven are the home of the fan service spot in the middle of a season to thank people for watching the series. And we will look back at the season's anime in the past. Why are you cackling, Coco? It's just funny. It's like... Oh, thanks for watching. Have some boobs. Have some <laughs> arms. <laughs> have, some, you know. <laughs> uh, have, have a bit of lovey-dovey bit, which makes no sense to the plot, but it'll yeah. be great for your uh, visual stimulation. Um, so Still we will like get, uh, obviously, cover off all the anime we've been watching this season and what we've enjoyed. Um, we'll try and find if we can get some nice music to go along with it as well, so you mm. can know what we're talking about when we're talking about the opening themes. But uh, between now and then, make sure you check out plenty of anime online. Have a look at Food Wars if you're interested and if you're a big manga reader, definitely check out the Gashi Kashi, Miss Kozumi Loves Ramen Noodles, and, of course... After the Rain. Not where I was going, but we'll go uh, with that. I think everyone <laughs> should check out After the Rain. Anyway. It does have an element of food to it. <laughs> and if you've got a nice streaming service like Netflix check out something that you haven't seen before. Like, yeah. There's always little hidden gems in those things. Mm. We'll see you next time. Have fun. Cheers. Bye.